Welcome to Culture Eats Strategy. Eats Strategy. With your host, entrepreneur Jamie J. Jamie J. On this podcast, we unpack the most powerful, intangible culture. Culture. Culture is way more than a mission statement or words on a wall. It's how a company behaves. It's what informs every decision, action, and reaction. Culture is the invisible hand, the true north that guides every organization. And if you create a legendary culture, you will build a legendary company. A legendary company. Now, here he is, Jamie J. Jamie J. Well, hello there. It's Jamie J. back with another episode, Culture Each Strategy. With me, yours truly, Jamie J. Uh, super excited to have Jeff Got Health on today. Um, one of one of the quick things before I, I make the introduction um, that I gotta gotta tell you about bottleneck virtual assistant. You hear me regurgitate it, regurgitate it, but I and in full transparency, it is my company. But if you are someone that is growing, you're listening to the right show uh, in culture Eat strategy because there's these certain friction points that occur every, at, 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 during different uh, times of growth in your business. And these little friction points start warming up and getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And before you know it, uh, you're in a world of hurt. You're late, you're missing meetings, you're thinking about work on the weekends, you're not spending time with the family. Well, go to bottleneck.online and learn more about how we can help you stop the bottleneck with a virtual assistant from the Philippines. Uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. Uh, info at bottleneck.online. Um, so now that I have that out of the way, I want to talk about uh, the real reason that you're tuning in today, and that's to learn uh, a lot more from Jeff Gotthelf. Uh, I did talk to Jeff here just in the uh, pre-interview and told him what my word was. And as many of you know, my word of the year is listen. Listen intently and soulfully to engage notably. Uh, every year uh, around January 15th, I come up with my word for that year. And my word this year is listen, because when I'm talking, as of right now, I'm, I'm not learning. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is continually learning. What is that? What does that look like? And, and Jeff is an expert on that. He helps organizations build better products and executives build the cultures that build better products. He is the co-author and the award-winning book, Lean UX, and the Harvest Business Review Press book, Sense and Respond. Jeff works as a coach consultant, and keynote speaker helping companies bridge the gaps between business agility, digital transformation, product management, and human-centered design. Most recently, Jeff co-founded Sense and Respond Press, and it's a publishing house for practical business books for busy executives. That's going to be interesting. So, uh, Jeff, thank you for uh, stopping by today all the way from Spain. It's Spain, right? That's right. Yeah, Jamie, thanks so much for having me on the show. And yeah, I'm in uh, Barcelona, Spain at the moment. And, uh, you know, the distances with the digital stuff, it's almost negligible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's so cool. Like, I'm sitting here in Springfield, Missouri. I'm talking to you way over there. And you're, what time is it? Did you, are you guys ahead of us? Six? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you're in Central Time? I'm on Central Time. So, it's so, we're, so we're seven hours, seven hours ahead of you. Ah, yeah. That's so crazy that we're able to have a nice, clear conversation. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. I can tell you what's happened seven hours into the future. Oh, fantastic! Please, in case, in case, in case you need it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 
Well, tell us a little bit more about who you are. I'd, I'd love to learn what you're up to because uh, it, it sounds like you have a pretty good grasp or uh, on, on culture and uh, behaviors. And can't wait to jump into a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. So I'll give you the, the condensed version of it. But um, after failing as a musician, um, <laughs> I decided that I needed to find a job that actually paid real money. Um, and I got, I got myself into the internet as it was all the rage about 20 years ago. Um, and I got a job doing a little bit of design work in the internet and, and front end coding and what they called it coding back then. But today I'd be embarrassed to call it coding, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, building the websites. Um, and I spent about a decade doing web design, leading design teams, uh, you know, working in a variety of different, uh, organizations, building software, designing software really more than anything else. Um, and I hit a crossroads about 10 years into my career. And the crossroads was, is it was an interesting one because I didn't expect it. Uh, for a decade, I'd been working designing products and services that millions of people were using on a daily basis. But the measure of success for all of that work was delivering the product. In other words, I, I made the designs and that was my measure of success. And my team or the team as a whole shipped a product into market and that was the measure of success. And we didn't really think about, well, did people like it? Did they use it? Did it make them more successful? Did it help us uh, you know, become a more successful business? Whatever it was, Th that conversation seemed lacking. We were just kind of a production factory in this particular case for software. And I figured there had to be a better way. And so working with my team at the time at a company in New York City called The Ladders, we helped figure out how to change the way that design worked to be a more strategic partner in the product and service development process. And that, that ended up becoming a conversation that led to the book called, that you mentioned called Lean UX. UX stands for user experience, which is what I was doing. I was doing user experience design. Uh, what was fascinating about that is that turns out that the same challenge in that same conversation wasn't unique to us. And the book resonated broadly, globally, in fact, to the point where what people were actually asking me to do after the book came out changed dramatically. So people stopped asking me to design software and they said, Jeff, come teach us what's in the book, right? Because oh, wow. these, are the, these are the exact problems that we're having and you seem to have figured it out. I had, well, I had one answer. I don't know if it was the only answer, right? But I had one. They said, come teach us this stuff. And I said, I don't, I don't know how to teach, <laughs> but, but, but okay, right? And so, sure. and so I, yeah, why not? You know, I mean, they say, they say you know, uh, luck is just being prepared, right? And so yep. I was prepared, just, I was, and prepared to, take, to take the leap. And so I learned. And, I, and I, not by myself. I had people teach me. And I practiced. And I sucked at it. And I got better at it. Um, and I started to build this, this training and content and education business and ultimately a consulting business around the ideas behind Lean UX. And what was fascinating was, um, you know, somebody says, hey, uh, write a book. And you're like, a book? I can't even, you know, I can't even write an email, right? Like you want me to, you want me to write a book. And uh, once you've written one book, you know, the idea of writing a second book becomes increasingly more palatable. And so there was a lot, a lot of feedback that my co-author Josh Seiden and I were getting from Lean UX. And the, the majority of it was, we want to work this way, Jeff, but my boss doesn't let me work this way. 
or my company doesn't work this way. The culture of the places that we work doesn't encourage us to be collaborative, to talk to customers, to learn continuously and to improve continuously. We're still measured and focused primarily on just shipping the product to market, very kind of manufacturing style. And so Josh and I wrote a second book called Sense and Respond. It's a business book. You mentioned it at the intro from HBR Press. And that book is, is really a book for executives and for leaders and the people who are building businesses to help them understand that the nature of product delivery, of value delivery today, is fundamentally different. It's really based on technology. Um, and the, techno- the power that comes with that technological distribution channel allows you to build a culture of continuous learning, a culture of continuous improvement, and a culture of agility. And then we talk about why that's important and then how to, how to actually tactically bring that to fruition. And so since then, I've, I've been expanding the material that I've been speaking and teaching and writing about and consulting about from the, you know, not just the tactical stuff around, hey, how does design work with product management and software engineering and marketing and uh, et cetera, but also looking more broadly with working with leaders to talk about how to build a kind of company and a kind of organization that is customer-centric and that values the expertise that we hire our people to provide, which is sadly lost in so many organizations that I work with. You bring up a really good point. Okay. So this is, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, I spent 12 years in corporate America. Uh, I changed four jobs in that 12 years. <laughs> Grass is greener type thing, right? Yep, yep. And I thought every time I'd be able to come over. And I didn't even know what the problem was for the longest time. I loved being creative. I even got into radio because I'm like, there's going to be, that'll be tons of fun. They can be creative and, and oh my gosh, talk about red tape. Lord almighty, you have mm-hmm. to be so careful in that environment. And I understand that. But it did, It wasn't until years later that I understand that there was a cultural problem, a behavioral problem, wherein, just like you said, I had to do certain things. And when, when the big ones would come in, my manager would give me the mission statement for the, for, here you go, memorize this for today, because they're going to ask you, you need to know it. And then when they left, no more vision, no more mission. Right. Um, and for the longest time, they were like, or even when I was in the military, do not say anything when they come do their inspections. They're going to ask you, everything is okay. Mm. Like, and I thought, wow, like that, how do, how are we going to improve if you don't yeah. get feedback? Now, there's bitching and complaining, but there's also feedback. And, and, and I don't think if, if someone has the, the, it's okay to come up with, it's okay for feedback. It's okay for suggestions. Don't be afraid. And that is so prevalent. So when you talked about that uh, just now, that, that's what it reminded me of. And I think that has everything to do with continuous learning. I wonder if maybe uh, this is a nice segue where we can start talking a little bit more in detail about what continuous learning is. Yeah. So traditionally, right. So look, we're anybody who's building a business, whether you're just starting out as an entrepreneur, you've got a, a, you know, a, an organization with, with maybe a couple of dozen employees or maybe thousands of employees, the, the, body of work that is taught to us or that is presented to us is based on a hundred years of manufacturing history. Mm. And, and we believe that that is the best way to build and run companies still to this day. Now in manufacturing, that body of work makes sense. And, and primarily what it means is, is the boss 
tells the workers what to do, right? Make the Sharpie, right? Now make me a million Sharpies, right? And make sure that they've got a black cap and a gray body and that it says Sharpie in the middle. Great. That's perfect. I know what to do. I will go execute and we can optimize for efficiency and productivity and profit margins. There's no learning that takes place there. There's no improvement really that takes place there. Today, the, the only way to build a business that delivers value in a way that people expect it is to leverage technology, some kind mm. of software that aids um, in the delivery and the capture of the value that you provide to your customers. The amazing thing about software today is that it is continuous. And what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. When I started working professionally 20 years ago, I worked at America Online. We printed 15 million copies of those CDs every wow. six months or so and mailed them to you and your friends and everybody mm -hmm. else, right? Back then, that's how software came. It came in a box, whether it was in the mail or you went to the store and you bought a box of Windows 95 or whatever it was. Software was static. And the ability to understand whether or not that product that you just bought delivered value took time, sometimes six months at a time. And by the time you could issue an update to that, maybe it was another six months of development time before another box of software was shipped to market. Today, that's moot. Software yeah. just shows up on our phones, in our browsers. And so it's continuous. And the only limitation to how often the software can change is how often you want to change it as a company. Now, why is that meaningful? It's meaningful because the faster that you can get something, an idea, a new way, a new value proposition, a new piece of, uh, a, new, a new product, a new service, whatever it is, a new way of doing business into the hands of your customers, the faster you can learn whether or not it was a good idea. Mm. And the faster that you can learn whether or not it was a good idea, the, f the less you have invested in that idea. And the less you have invested in that idea makes it easier to be wrong. And that is where continuous learning comes in. That's that feedback loop that we started yeah. talking about, right? Um, and, and this is the key here is to be, be, because... If we can get our ideas into the hands of our customers very, very quickly, then we can learn very, very quickly whether it was a good thing for them to have. And if it wasn't, we can change course more quickly. Now, the ability to change course in the face of evidence is called humility. Mm -hmm. And sadly, it is in short supply, um, particularly as organizations begin to scale and we begin to get, because, because, hey, we're big, we're successful. I know what I'm doing. I'm telling people what to do and they're doing it. I don't need to be humble, right? And so the goal is to build that humility into our cultures so that we're always learning. Uh, you said your, your word for the year is listen. My phrase for the year, and I stole this. I did not come up with this at all. I stole it from a guy named Astro Teller, who's the guy who runs a, a X, Google X, the moonshot factory wow. uh, for Google, where they come up with like internet balloons and self-driving yeah. cars and stuff. He's got this phrase called enthusiastic skepticism, Ooh. which I, I really like. In fact, the whole phrase is enthusiastic skepticism is not the enemy of boundless optimism. In other words, what he's saying is, is that we can always make it better. 
it can all, and just because I'm the boss doesn't mean that I know everything. And if you, as someone who works for me, can provide me with proof, with evidence that we learned from the market that says, hey, that wasn't a great idea, I'm willing to change my mind. That's humility. And, th- and that's all it is, right? Sometimes leaders, leaders think that it's great leadership. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. But, but people say, well, uh, humility means I have to abdicate vision, right? Or I have to abdicate my leadership position. Right? No, no, we want you to have a strong opinion. We, that's why you're the leader, right? But in the face of evidence, you should be willing to change your mind. That's it. That's humility. And that's where continuous I, learning comes from. I, I absolutely love that. I think as a leader, coming up with an idea or a concept and moving that forward is one thing. It, because now you're taking action. That action needs to be taken. And people look uh, to leaders to take action. But it's that power of saying, okay, you presented enough evidence. Um, that wasn't the right move. I think we need to tweak this. You're exactly right. Let's move forward with that. I think you've just empowered the people that are working for you at the same time. Um, you've seen evidence. You're learning, continuous learning. I love that. It's so powerful. It's so powerful when the boss, the leader models this behavior. Uh, it's just, it, it, because it shows that it's okay to be wrong. Mm. Tr- you know, when you work for someone, there's tremendous pressure to impress that someone, right? You hired me because you think I'm smart and I'm good at what I do and that I'm a hard worker, right? And I want to prove that to you. I want to show that to you. But no one's perfect and no one gets it right 100% of the time. And if we truly want to push our organizations forward, we have to take those bigger, riskier bets. No one's going to take those bets if being wrong is met with, with punishment of some kind. Right. And yeah. to me, that's the, that's the key here. That, that is, that, that right there is, that was my experience in corporate America. And it took me 12 years to finally realize that. But that, that was my, I, I was afraid to bring something up or to come up with ideas. Just status quo, got to do what they say you do. Um, uh, my nickname in corporate America towards the latter end, end was JT for Jamie time uh-huh. because I, I, I was in a very high pressure sales, got to do the numbers, hit the quotas thing. And we had these meetings that were incredibly painful to sit through. Um, number one is because all we did was had, had to take direction. We were never able to assist and participate in a manner in which I really wanted to. And so I would sometimes miss a meeting or show up late because I was, it was like pulling teeth knowing that I had to go to that meeting on Mondays and Fridays. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and oh my gosh, they, they started nicknaming JT. And the only reason they didn't let me go, I think it was because we produced well. Um, mm-hmm. but you're, you're, you're so right on the button there um, when it comes to uh, culture and having now culture can be good and culture can be toxic. And just because it's a good culture, in my opinion, um, is, is more along the lines of the behavior, but I think it's representative of, as you said, like maybe a manufacturing company, there's, there's certain things that happen there, but even in the manufacturing environment or where there's step one, step two, step three, step four. Okay. You can easily see that this is what was done. It was accomplished. Yes. You're doing a great job. Even in that environment, 
I think there are opportunities for people to realize flaws or friction points and, and have the, you know, be empowered to say, hey, you know what? Um, this machine is, you know, 40 feet over there. Can't we move it over here and, uh, you know, save 10 hours a week or something like that? I don't know. I just, that's what I look to when I, when I see, when I'm talking about culture. If the team is empowered to bring those ideas to light, absolutely, right? That's what the, the entire Toyota production system, what, what we call lean manufacturing, is about, right? It's about reducing waste and about empowering the people closest to the information, the people on the line, to identify flaws, to stop the production process when they identify those flaws, and then to fix them or to escalate them and then start the line again. And so if we've got organizations embracing this Toyota production system, Kaizen, right, this continuous improvement kind of model, then it goes a long way. But it's rare. It's rare because we still have, we still have these schools of thought that say, I'm the boss. I have all the answers. I tell you what to do. You go do it. And it's just, it's, it doesn't make sense in, in today's world. It, it, it doesn't, not at all. Um, can you talk about a little bit about bridging the gap between business agility, digital transformation, product management, and human-centered design? So the, the, the gap there, it, it's interesting because all those things sound like different things, right? So you'll, you have companies talk about, we need to be, increase our agility, which basically what they mean is we, they need to be, the pace of change is so quick today that reacting to the changing forces of the market is taking too long. We need to, we need to improve that, right? Um, digital transformation sounds like something else, but generally speaking, it's the way that they believe that, that will, they will enable their increased agility. Product management is how we think about bringing products to, to, to the market. And then human-centered design is how do we make sure that what we bring to market meets the needs of the customer so that they make the company successful. Now, if you think about all those four things, they may sound like four disparate things, but the reality is that they're all highly connected at the core with one very key concept, and that is a, a deep empathy and focus on the customer, the person that you are serving, understanding their pain points, what they're trying to achieve, and whether or not you're actually helping them do that, whether you're making them more successful. If you can do that, if you, if you can create a customer-centric culture that truly loves the customer, right? Mm. Um, and then begins to in, invent ideas to make the customer more successful, the business rewards that. And if the business rewards that, it increases its agility. Inevitably, it will, be, it will use more digital tools to deliver that work. It will think more critically about what it means to bring a product to market. And certainly, it will think very specifically about how to design that experience to meet the customer needs. And so it's the customer at the center of that. Now, there's a key concept here that helps a culture shift to a customer-centric culture. Mm. And it's this. Again, it's one of these really pithy, fun phrases to say, but the impact of it is massive. And it's really simple. It's outcomes over output. That's the, that's the pithy phrase. Outcomes over output. Here's the difference. Output is the stuff that we make. It's the, it's the service, the product, the policy, whatever it is that you do, uh, you give it to someone else, right? Um, outcome is the change in behavior that we want to see when we give that person the thing that we're making. Genius. 
right? I love now, that. Yeah, and but the manufacturing mindset focuses us on output, right? How can we make stuff and more stuff and more quickly at a lower cost? The reality is that there is an infinite combination of ways that you can deliver value to your customers today, mm. right? Delivery channel, business model, pricing model, uh, marketing, features, value proposition, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, how do you know what the best combination is? You don't. <laughs> right, right. You, you, you don't, right? The, the idea is we, we make a guess and it's our best guess. That's where humility comes in, right? Admitting that this is my best guess about how to solve this business problem. And then the feedback comes in and that feedback is outcome. It's the change in customer behavior. Did customers, were customers more successful when we gave them this thing? And if the answer was no, then we have to change the thing. Yeah. Right. And, and so by simply by shifting the culture from focusing on output to focusing on outcome, it actually changes everything. It changes um, how we work. Uh, it changes what we do. It changes the incentive structures, what we reward, um, how we measure success, how we assign work. It's really, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I'll give you one more quick example. I promise I'll shut up. But, yeah, no, no, um, no. I love I'm, it. I'm, I'm very, pa- very passionate about this stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is my favorite example. Look, let's imagine that, that you and I and two other people are on a team, okay? And, and our boss told us that we are the iPhone app team, okay? Mm. Right. What's our mission? Well, I think we probably need to have a meeting to go through and define that, but it sounds to me like we'd be building an app for the iPhone. Exactly. We are the iPhone app team. We build the iPhone. Did you build the iPhone app? Yes, we did. We're done. Woohoo! You did a great job, right? Same group of people. New, new, a new team name, right? You are now. You're no longer the iPhone app team. You are the mobile commerce team, mm. right? And your measure of success is a 15% increase in mobile commerce, right? fundamentally different challenge for the same group of people. They might build an iPhone app. Maybe that's the best way to do that, to increase commerce by 15%. Maybe it's an Android app. Maybe it's a, 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 you know, a geo, geo-triggered SMS alert. So when I walk past your business, you send me a text. I, right? Who knows? Right? There's, an, again, infinite number of combinations. The measure of success stops being, I made a thing, and it becomes, I changed customer behavior for the better. And that's the key here. You're looking at more of a bigger picture there. Um, There's there's two things that popped into my head um, as you were talking. Um, I love this outcome over output. That that to me, I'm I'm talking about that in our next meeting, by the way. So thank you. (laughs) I think that's huge because that is a big mindset shift, in my opinion. Huge. the way that we make decisions in our company, and this is from me into the entire team here, is we make a decision, number one, and we give people a, a boundary. Um, they write their own job roles and responsibilities. Every staff member does. And they write their own job roles and responsibilities. I, I, I ultimately have the final say. Obviously, I want to make sure that everybody's focused in certain areas and not overlapping too much. Yep. But 
dis, I want to empower them to make decisions by, and we do this every meeting. Um, what are you, what are you grateful for? Um, what decision did you make this week? And the reason why we do the decisions, we do the decisions in three things. Is it good for the company? Is it good for our staff? And then is it good for our clients? Mm -hmm. Because what we found is that if we make a decision that's not good for the company, the company's not in a position to take care of the staff. And the staff's not taking care of how in the world are we going to take care of our clients? Mm -hmm. Now, our clients are very, very important. But they're not as important as the company and they're not as important as the staff in that particular order. That's at least what we feel. What do you say to that? Where is there a flaw there? Or how can we improve upon that? I think that there is a connection between all of those, right? And so strategically, we've got a company goal. And we can then talk into the staff and say, look, how can we support that from uh, a behavior standpoint internally? So, so outcomes can be applied not just to customer behavior, but to staff behavior mm. as well, mm. right? And so if we set a corporate strategy and then we think about, okay, as, a, uh, as, a, as team members, what is it that we might do differently to help achieve that strategy, right? We can start thinking about those behavior changes that we're looking for. And then we can talk about how those behavior changes empower the success of our customers, right? So how does that set us up to deliver even more value to, to our specific customers? Now, if at any point there's a breakdown between that, because those things, should, they should correlate very, very clearly to each other. When we do this, customers experience X and their behavior changes in this particular way. And the organization reaps this reward or this benefit or is negatively impacted in some way. And, and when that breaks, that's a clear indication that we're doing something that's not, that's not aligned with the vision of the company any longer. Um, and so it, it should, there should be a very clear line between those three steps. So looking, at, looking at, them, at them that way is a great way to think about it, right? So what do we care about strategically, strategically as an organization? How can the staff support that? What is the behavior change that we want to see in the staff that we think will support that? And then how does that enable the, the behavior change of our customers that we hope to see as well? And I think that those, that's, that's a really good way to, a good conversation to have with the team. I love that. I love that. The second point that I was talking, that I wanted to bring up um, was, so we have these decision-making processes in place and there's behavior that happens. Um, how do we uncover humility, not only as a leader, but within the organization itself that transfers to that outcome for the customer? Uncovering, you know, I think we have to, you have to reward it, really. I mean, that, that's the key. Uh, it, it has to be part of the incentives. You know, one of the things, I'll tell you a story. Um, I ran an agency in New York City for four years with the help of some friends that sold digital product development services for, uh, in this kind of very experimental, customer-centric way. We had uh, American Express as a customer, as a client, and we had spent three months working with them, trying to figure out how to deliver more value to a specific customer segment of their, of their customers. And uh, over the course of six months, we, uh, three months, sorry, over the course of three months, we killed six bad ideas. So mm -hmm. we came up with six ideas and we tried them and none of them were good ideas together with their teams. There was a reorganization as these things happen in corporate America fairly regularly. A new vice president comes in. He's looking at the P&L. 
for that department. He sees the line item for our agency and how much money they've paid us for the last three months. And he says, hey, guys, um, we've paid you, the, you know, this much money. Where's my thing? Like, what did you make for me? I paid you yeah. whatever it was, X thousands of dollars. Uh, where's my thing? And we said, well, we didn't make a thing. We killed six things, six bad ideas that you would have inevitably spent at least $5 million on each one of them. So ultimately, we, we saved you $30 million, which believe me, he was not paying us $30 million, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, and, and he's like, nah. He's like, we're paying you money to build stuff. Build something. Where's the thing? And, uh, and we got fired. <laughs> pretty shortly after that, um, which, you know, which was terrible. But that's, that's my point, right? That particular VP did not incentivize humility or learning, right? Like th- th- that, that um, they incentivize delivery. And so you've got to reward it. You've got to reward learning and you've got to reward teams when they find out early that an idea is not going to work and they move off of it to something that has a greater chance of success. Mm. So how do, you, how do you build that into your reward system is an interesting challenge, but that's the key to, it's not uncovering, it's, it's, it's pulling out the humility out of people. Because look, I can't tell you how many projects I worked on in the first decade of my career that I did not want my name on. You know, I knew, I knew they were terrible ideas. I knew they were never going to work, but the measure of success wasn't, will it work? It's, can you get it done by Friday? You know, and uh, so you, know, you, have to, you have to incentivize it. That's the key. You know what? And, and I, think, I think this is where so many companies miss it. In, 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 in summation of our conversation today, in my opinion, they're so busy hitting these deadlines that they forget to kind of look back, um, smell the roses, so to speak, and, and, and take a snapshot. Um, and, and this is what I did. We just had a, a we social media team. We meet every Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's three things we want to do for next week. Because what we're doing right now is not working. Let's do this. Number one, I like steps of three. I don't know why. It just makes, simplifies things in my brain. Number mm-hmm. one, let's step back. Number two, let's analyze what's happening. What has happened since January 1 of this year? Number three, let's simplify. And I thought, wow, after I said that, I'm like, okay, not only did I say that for the team, so this Thursday, they're going to come back and give me the answers to those three things um, or in, in their own words. Um, but then I thought, I need to kind of do that for everything <laughs> at this point. And, and, and that is, in essence, continuous learning. It's feedback from clients. It's feedback from staff. It's, it's, it's humility, I think. Uh, I made a decision earlier on to, that we needed to do some things, and, and uh, I got some feedback that that's probably not the best thing to do at the time. So I, I stopped it right away, and I think it was a bad idea. It's something that needs to be done, but it's very low on the list of priorities. Um, so it's so I, I I don't know I'd I'd love before before we wrap I'd love to hear your feedback on that and and uh, a little what you think about that three steps there and and whether or not uh, you can elaborate on that. So look, uh, first of all, any time that you are uh, as a leader changing changing direction based on evidence, not not just on a whim. Ah, 
I had an epiphanous shower moment this morning, and now we're turning left. Everybody turn left. And you're like, what, what the hell? Right? But if you're saying, look, we've been trying, we're banging our heads against the wall for the, at this for a month, three months, six months, whatever it is. It's not working. I know it was my idea, but look, turns out it's a bad idea. Let's try something else. That's massive. That's huge. It's, it's so, so beneficial for your team to see you transparently learning and admitting that it, your idea wasn't a good one. It's massive. So, so kudos to you for doing that. Second, look, generally speaking, I'm just a big fan of simplification because when you simplify, you can determine uh, causation and correlation more clearly, right? Mm. If you've got too many variables in, in play, you don't know what's, what's affecting what. And so even if, you know, you could say, well, my idea could be bad or it could be the thing that we added last week that's messing with it. So, so simplifying helps clear out a lot of the noise. So that goes... Uh, a long way. And then, and so ultimately, and, and as long as you're kind of applying that, uh, not just to one, I mean, look, applying it to one team as a test and saying, look, here's a new way of approaching this. Let's see how it works. And if it works, then scaling it out to the rest of your, of your organization, that's fantastic, right? You're de-risking it because maybe these three things aren't the best thing to do, mm-hmm. right? And in this case, let's find out in a smaller environment before we make everybody do it. And then, you, then all of a sudden you have advocates as well. Right, exactly. You've got evidence that it works and people who have done it, they're like, yeah, no, it worked for us. You guys should do it too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So uh, one last thing I want to touch on. Um, you explained a lot about, um, what did you call it? It was, uh, it was the, I think it was, bear with me one second. I have it written down here. Um, da, da, da. Oh, human-centered design. Mm-hmm. Um, is that system and processes? Uh, there are best practices, best practices to, to okay. do that. But, but, but those best practices vary based on your target audience. They vary. So th- there's basic guidelines for how to start, but ultimately the, the humans will vary based on who, the kind of product that you're delivering, who yeah. they are, what they're trying to accomplish. And so, um, it's, it's, it's a way of working that impacts culture, but the tactical, implementation of it will vary from product to product. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I, I, I want to ask, how do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you, possibly talk to you about your consulting or, or just have a chance to talk with Jeff? Um, I'm super easy to find. That's by design. Um, two, there's two websites I'll give you. Uh, the first one is jeffgothealth.com. So just my full name, .com. Um, I've recently relaunched it, brought all my content in-house. Um, there's events, listings in there, talks about what I do, links to videos, that kind of thing. Uh, so jeffgothealth.com. And then the other is the Business Book Publishing Press. By the way, we have an Outcomes Over Output book in the Sense and Respond Press series, which I would highly recommend if you're into this idea. But senseandrespondpress.com is where we publish uh, business books for busy professionals. And not only uh, do we have books there and you can kind of see the books that are coming and what we're doing, but we're also always looking for authors as well. So if you think you can write a short practical business book for busy executives, take a look at the site and uh, drop us a line there. We'd love to hear from you. That's fantastic. I'm going to have to look at that. I, I have been trying to write a book. I wrote one book, uh, I was about 85 pages into it. I forgot how many words it was, but uh, someone hopped on. I went to lunch. Someone hopped on the back of our, my boat and I had, I had, I, would, I, I love riding on the boat. It's just peaceful for me. 
And so um, I thought, well, I have an external hard drive, you know, and all that. But I put it in the computer bag. Someone hopped on the boat and took the computer bag. Oh. Hard drive, everything gone. And oh. uh, it took me a while to get over that. That hurts. So yeah. I only recently started writing again. Um, and it, it's probably the, a blessing in disguise because I've gone a totally different direction now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that first book. Oh, man, I give it up to authors because what an accomplishment. Yes. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, before we wrap up? No, I, I, not, I mean, not, nothing huge. I would just say, look, uh, the, the most important bit I would, I would say, look, if you're looking to build a, the, a, the kind of cultural ideals that scale, a customer-centric, humble culture of learning is the best thing that you can do, especially as you're, as you're starting out, if your company's of a smaller size and you have ambitions to grow it, plant those seeds now because that will, that will bloom into kind of a bigger, more successful culture uh, in the future. Absolutely love it. Thank you, Jeff, uh, for sharing and spending, spending this time with us today. My pleasure, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me on the show. For sure. Hold on one second. I'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, you've been listening to Jeff Gotthelf, and you can go to learn more about him at jeffgotthelf.com. And that's J-E-F-F-G-O-T-H-E-L-F, gotthelf.com uh, uh, to learn more about him. You can also go and check out senseandrespondpress.com for short practical business books. You can look at, uh, and, there, and if you're an author, go check it out. Um, it'd be a great place to go for you to learn a little bit more on, on how you might be able to contribute uh, to this wonderful world with uh, your lessons that you've learned along the way in business. Um, of course, everything's going to be there in the show notes. You can go to culture.bottleneck.online. If you're driving right now, don't stop and write anything down. Come back and listen to it. You can go to culture.bottleneck.online to learn more. Uh, if you feel the urge, uh, go to iTunes, leave us a, a rating review. Um, and leave us a five-star, leave us a three-star. Doesn't matter. I really want to hear uh, your feedback, as I say every week, because I, I am really focused on improving what we can do to help you uh, along the way. Uh, again, thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate your time. Uh, fantastic. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Me too. That was, that was really great, Jamie. Thank you. All right. This is Jamie J, uh, host of Culture Eat Strategy. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.